This is the Horse Radio Network. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor from Equestrian Business Women. And you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, in- entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we are talking to two women who are experts in real estate. As leaders in their respective markets, we will learn how they negotiate for their customers and persuade them to make big investments for their future. Martha Jolliker first established herself among the equestrian community as a world-class show-jumping competitor. Since then, she has combined her passion for horses with her career as one of the area's top-ranked real estate agents catering exclusively to equestrian clientele. She was selected as a member of the elite Douglas Elliman Real Estate Sports and Entertainment Division, a designation reserved for the rare broker who meets the highest standards of integrity and reputation. Martha was a top junior rider and later trained at the Grand Prix level with Canadian show jumping superstar and 10-time Olympian Ian Miller and United States Olympian Norman Della Joyle. In 1985, Jolicoeur was named American Grand Prix Association Rookie of the Year. Licensed since 1991, Jolicoeur experiences the same joy she felt competing in the Grand Prix show jumping ring as she does when matching customers with a home that truly fits their lifestyle and finding the perfect buyer for a client's property. Jolicoeur began to work in real estate in both Middleburg, Virginia and Wellington, Florida, and permanently relocated to Wellington with her family in 2005. Jolicoeur is uniquely knowledgeable of the business of real estate and gives it her all making her an asset to her clients and the Wellington community. Hardworking and honest, Jolicoeur's well-deserved reputation has earned her a loyal clientele that includes the most notable names in international and national equestrian sport. She continues to be an active member in the equestrian community and is always looking for ways to give back. For years, she has proudly sponsored the Winter Equestrian Festival and the show's Leading Lady Rider Award in memory of Dale Lawler, a fellow realtor and horsewoman. Katrina Rollison is a Hudson Valley native who grew up in the quarter horse world, riding and competing in the Northeast. She went on to get a degree in animal science with an equine concentration from Virginia Tech. From there, she worked for some of the top trainers in the country, managing breeding operations in the Midwest. Her deep roots brought her back home in 2009 and continued working in the veterinary field with both small animals and horses. She settled down and soon found herself to be a mom of three girls and made a career path change. With a family background in construction, real estate was a natural transition. She joined Remax in 2016 and never looked back. Real estate has become a full-time career, allowing her to enjoy horses for pleasure. Since joining Remax, she has gone from working as a part-time agent on a team to running a team of nine agents. Last year, her team sold over $32 million worth of homes, helping over 90 families across six different counties in the Hudson Valley. Her team is not only one of the top real estate teams in the area, but also in the state of New York. Katrina works hard to give each and every client white glove service. Buying or selling a home is one of the most stressful times in a person's life. So being available to answer questions and show support and guidance is key. The joy of homeowners face at the closing table is still one of her favorite things to be part of. Outside of real estate and horses, she and her family love to camp and travel. 
Katrina also has a not-so-secret love for all things Disney. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we're excited to talk to you about your businesses and how you guys negotiate through your business and to talk about that process. And I think, Connor, you were going to start with question number one. Yeah. So we'll start with Katrina. Katrina, how much has your equine background come into play as a realtor? Probably more than most people realize. So it's helped me not only with my sphere and my clients and just people know me from being in the business. I've been recommended out that way, but it kind of channels back to working with animals on a daily basis as awful as that sounds, you kind of learn to read body behavior and how people present themselves versus what they say. So being able to step back and kind of overlook the whole situation and kind of be able to read people helps a lot when it comes to real estate. And Martha, how about for you? How has your equine background come into play? Oh, I think it's probably the most important part um, of my business as far as building a clientele. I would say that 99% of my business is equestrian people. Not every property is equestrian, but the people are. So what I learned and the contacts made during my riding career has been, I think, what's been able to elevate my business and, and get it going. Of course, business builds on business. So a lot of it is real estate knowledge and how to negotiate but up until then, there aren't not every realtor knows what's in style as, as far as fencing goes or who what kind of uh, barn works best or yeah, yeah. And living here too, besides the equestrian, living here as an equestrian helps knowing who to call when there's a hurricane coming, which barns close up for hurricanes, things like that. What style of barn closes up for a hurricane? Right. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you say about like 99% of your clientele is equestrian? Yes. That doesn't mean they're buying a barn. Like today I'm, right. I'm late because I was at an, an inspection of a house for a rider. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's still that connection. Exactly. So, and of course, maybe what she wants in a house is different than what she wanted on her farm. But I guess she's my customer because I sold her farm and we know each yeah. other through horses. So yes, it's all intertwined. And I think without that, it would be twice as hard. Lots of networking, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Katrina, how about you? How much is yours related to what percent is related to the equine industry? I'd say probably 30 to 40% of my business has come to either whether it's someone buying a farm or looking for horse property or selling horse property or just my equine contacts, like Martha said, people who know you through the horse business tend to trust you. They'll reach out to you first. We're sort of an honest breed. So we're a little more straightforward and tell it like it is than most agents out there. I know that most of my clients appreciate that. So whether I've sold their farm or I've sold their house or there are people that are looking to buy something close to a barn, I have a lot of People that I've met, not even necessarily through horses, but through my kids' school and their kids' ride, and they know that we have horses, so they start questioning where are good areas to purchase, where we have ease of access to a barn or a riding stable, because we might not necessarily want a horse now, but maybe down the future, 
So it's become a huge part of the business more so than I ever thought. That's how we met. Well, my husband knew Katrina from being a vet tech actually. Well, there you go. And yep. <laughs> and so she had helped us sell our house up here in New York. Well, nice. So yeah, I could see yeah. how it's the connection through the equine industry. I thought Katrina's comment on the body language and the psychology of selling was interesting because I was a psychology major and everybody says, well, you never use that. And I do feel like I use it every day. There's a psychology yeah. to selling. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess For it's sure. a combo of the two. Yeah. There is yeah. absolutely a psychology. It's not so much a sales position as a hand holding and making sure people are, and their needs are being met. Mm. And I know Martha, I think we've talked about this in helping you with promoting properties, but the equine market is so strong right now. And you've seen an uptick in people looking for farms and horse properties in recent years, right? Yes. Especially the past 18 months. It's gone just straight up, not, which I haven't seen. I've been doing this for 20 some odd years. I even, I sold my house too soon, not realizing. Yeah. Never seen. Not knowing like. Yeah. No complaints. (laughs) Yeah. I think, do you think Wellington is an anomaly? People say so, but I have a lot of friends in real estate all across the country and they're all experiencing this boom as well. Or I have friends in Greenwich and Aiken. And uh, Mm -hmm. both of them do some horse properties, but not exclusively. And they're seeing it as well. Hmm. Katrina, how about in New York where you are? So we live in a pretty unique area because we're really the last county north that's still commutable to New York City. So after all of the onset of COVID over the last two years, we've just seen this mass boom into our area of people pushing out of the city They've realized that living in a 700-square-foot apartment that they have access to nothing is not where you want to be when you're full lockdown. Not only are we seeing the boom up here in just buyers in general, we're also seeing a lot of our sellers kind of skip out of New York because of a lot of the quarantine and mandates that come into place. But our horse industry is still pretty good. And not even just horse property, but agriculture property in general. We're seeing a lot of people come up out of the city that are realizing after living down there and being in lockdown that they want some space. They want some land. I get questions on a daily basis about what kind of livestock can we have? Can we have chickens? Can we have goats? How much land do we need to do gardening? And a lot of homestead type properties are becoming very desirable up here. Mm -hmm. And... Martha, in Wellington, open land is such a commodity and really hard to come by. Do you think people are better off just buying ready-made properties that are already built or trying to find land and building? One thing I've learned in Wellington is newer is better. I used to be all about, oh, well, you can it cheaper than you can build it. But we always run into something. There isn't a lot available. So I think you have to go with what you can find that fills your needs. But if you can, new is preferred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think especially when and people... And there's a lot of building going on. There's trucks everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think people who are in Wellington have pretty particular needs and wants for what they want in their barn, right? Yes. And a lot of times... It- 
they'll keep the barn or build a house. So one is not necessarily exclusive of the other. Katrina, you were mentioning before about how the horses kind of gave you that ability to sense people and and kind of look above and figure out the situation. What other strategies do you use when you like have a customer and they give you their wants, but then that might not be their need. And so you're trying to put them together with a property. Are there any specific strategy that you use? So my biggest thing that I do with all of my buyers is I usually try to get them to write down a list of their absolute needs, an absolute deal breaker And if it is a couple that is buying, I make sure they sit together to do this because oftentimes the needs of one may not match the needs of the other. So we need to discuss that up front before we start bouncing around from house to house. And then we talk about wants and what they really desire in a home, but may not necessarily find. Usually what happens is I start showing them houses online in within their price point where they have their wants and their needs. And oftentimes, especially in this market where prices of the houses have gone through the roof, they see that sometimes those wants push them out of their budget. But there's so many good connections up here that you can live without hardwood floors. You can upgrade those down the road, get into the house and get situated. Hardwood isn't the deal breaker. Garages are a big thing up here. All the men want garages. (laughs) And usually we can show them that even if there's not a garage on the house, chances are they can still build one and we'll go down and show them what the process is with the town, with their permits. And that's something you can add on down the road. It, it makes things a little smoother as a transition, but usually you have to be able to physically show people, this is what you're getting within your price point, And we need to get your needs met first And then we can hopefully find something that'll add some of those wants in there too. Yeah. And Martha, do you have any particular strategies that you use? Yes, I do. Because everybody starts out the same pretty much. This is what I want. This is the price I would like to be in. One thing I do use as I try to, and it's the opposite of selling horses, I try to show them what I think is best for them or what I think they might buy first. And then we go from there. A lot of times they'll say, this is my budget. This is what I'm going to do. And then it winds up being different more than more often than not. It's more money. Sometimes it's less money and they're going to build something, but there's a process that we go through where they'll say, this is what I want. And I know in the end that they're going to, it's not going to be what they buy, but we have (laughs) Mm -hmm. to start there. It's a process and it takes time. I also try not to show too many properties in one day. I think after three, four most, then it just gets confusing. So I try to spread it out. I a hundred percent agree with that with buyers. My buyers max out at five a day. And that's usually because they're coming up from New York city and they're traveling an hour and a half to two hours sometimes. So we try to make it worth their day. I force them to stay in one area. Oftentimes they're jumping counties. So we try to stay with within a school district or within a certain mile radius, because by the time you've driven 35 to 40 minutes between properties, they've already forgotten what they've seen. So we try to isolate to one area. Maybe we'll grab lunch in between. They can see the area. And I encourage them honestly to go up and visit on a weekend when they have nothing to do and take a walk through the towns and see if this is where they really truly want to be. If you guys have a big difference of opinion, how do you kind of navigate through those situations? 
usually your difference on opinion are you between like husband and wife or between two, two buyers or between myself and the buyers, any of that, all of it. (laughs) It's usually easier when myself and the buyers have a difference of opinion. If it's as far as money goes and lending, I usually get our lender involved. I'm encouraging people to use local lenders that can sometimes break it down a little bit better and give them that price point and what their payments are with the higher taxes or with a higher payment. So they really see, because sometimes me telling them 450 is a little out of your budget. They don't trust me enough to, to say, well, you don't know my finances. No, but the lender does. So sometimes I'll get the lender involved. As far as properties, usually after a house or two, and we start to feel each other out, I know kind of what they're looking for and we can kind of work together to get them what they need. If it comes to a difference between two people trying to buy a house, I've been in that situation more often than I can tell you. Uh, There are times that I've walked out and I'm like, I don't know how these two people are even married to each other because (laughs) (laughs) in a condo and he wants 10 acres with no neighbors for miles around. Um, Right usually there's some compromise somewhere. And I usually say, Hey, okay, we're going to go look at just these types of properties today. And we're going to talk about what we liked and what we didn't. And then the next time we're going to go look at these other properties. And usually we can find some type of middle ground somewhere. They're, they're a little more challenging. (laughs) And Martha, for you, how do you navigate through the differences of opinions? I think that I let the customer, I listen to them and I let them run rogue for a little bit. I'll let them, this, this is what I want. This is what I want to see. And then as we go, they'll start to say, oh, but it, it's not really this. It's not really that. And then I will usually take them to some place that I think would be better. But sometimes people have different wants and needs than I see for them, or they have different tastes than I do. So I really try to listen to what it is that they're looking for and, and help them try to find that. Yeah. That kind of leads into... Our next question, does it take persuasion to get people to look at places that they don't think fits their specifications? And is there a strategy that you use to kind of say, look, I think you just need to check it out. You never know if you like it once you see it in person. I think that's where being an equestrian and being a realtor could get closer together, trying to convince somebody that this is the right horse for them, even when it's not the ride that they like, <laughs> um, doesn't always work. So I will say, this is what I think and this, but if they really are against it, I don't push it. I try to find something that works for them, even if I don't love it. Right. And Katrina, how about you? Is there a strategy that you use for getting people to open up their horizons? There is maybe a little unconventional, but most of my buyers and clients in general, after being around me a couple of times, they tend to start to trust me. And usually they're going to send me a list of houses and I'm going to look through them. I'm like, okay, this could work. I know this one's not going to work, but they want to see it. So we're going to go see it anyway. And we'll schedule those four or those three And then there's usually something that I'm like, they should really go see this. So I usually surprise them. And I'm like, hey, we've got another one that I threw in here that I think is worth taking a look at. Let's go take a look. So I will surprise them and we'll do a surprise showing. More often than not, they're usually surprised how much they like it and how much it fits. So sometimes those surprise showings without giving them, giving them an option to back out, because usually what happens is the house that's been 
on the market forever because either the photos are terrible or they think it's not an area that they're going to like, but I know the area here. I know if they're looking for something specific. And sometimes you have to look past the cosmetic and the ugly wallpaper and the shag carpet and realize that this house is really everything that you need. You just need to put some rose colored glasses on. Hmm. So definitely some surprise tactics to throw in a house here or there will definitely help persuade them to look outside the box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people can use persuasion in any kind of business. And it's not just for real estate, right? You uh, like, like Martha was saying, trying to persuade people to buy a horse that that you know is good for them, but they may not love the ride. It might take them to the next level, pushing them out of mm-hmm. their comfort zone, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think yeah. trusting you as an expert, why did they hire you? Because you're good at what you do and you know what you're talking about. And I think clients sometimes have to put that trust in you since they've hired you to do this job. I think that applies to lots of different businesses. People hire me for PR and marketing work, then you have to kind of let me take everything in and and what you want to do and what your goals are. And then here's how I think we can best achieve those goals. I think in your line of work too, they have to trust that you've certainly seen enough houses in your life to know <laughs> what works and what doesn't. And normally yeah. there'll be a house or a property that they say, I really want to see this. And I'll say, it's, it's really not what you think it is. Going back mm-hmm. to what Trina said, the pictures don't always tell the truth. And in the other way, and they'll be like, oh, yes, I want to. And then they'll learn that, oh, Martha does know what she's talking about when they get to it and they realize that I was right and now they've wasted time. But at least they've learned the lesson, okay, and now I'm going to trust her a little bit more. Right. Yeah. And do you think that it's different when you're selling a house for somebody? Do you have to gain their trust? It doesn't take as much time or do you think that people come to you like they're ready to sell? You don't really have to use persuasion. It works both ways. I have people that have known me my entire life um, that have picked up the phone and said, meet us here. We're going to list it. Tell us what you think it's worth. We sign the paperwork and we go. In the market that we're in now where we're still pretty light on listings and people who are listing their houses with an agent, oftentimes they've already tried to throw it on Zillow themselves and either got completely overwhelmed with the process or they've used another agent that maybe didn't meet their needs and the house didn't get sold. So they're a little more standoffish. So they start to learn to ask the right questions so there, there is a different way to go about things when it comes to persuasion. I don't believe in persuading someone to list with me. I'm a pretty cut and dry. This is a two-sided thing. I'm hiring you and you're hiring me and we're going to do this together. But in the long run, you have to be able to show a marketing plan. You have to be able to show your value and your worth and being able to explain things from the top down because most people haven't ever sold a house before. They've bought a house once, maybe twice. It was a long time ago. They've never sold. They don't understand the process. Or they're in the process of buying a house down south, which oftentimes is even worse because the difference in how the process works between New York and a state like South Carolina or Florida is so different because it takes three months to close a house in New York and you can close a house in under 30 days in other states. We have attorneys and title takes six weeks here. It's just such a long process that... Mm -hmm you really have to make a commitment to your sellers to keep them in the loop on every step because it's just such a drawn out process. Um, so that, so yeah. 
I like to be pretty cut and dry with my sellers. This is what I offer. This is what you can expect of me. This is what I expect of you. And we're going to do this together. If my phone rings, I answer it. Well, normally, but right now, Samsung. <laughs> if you call, if you text me, if I don't answer immediately, you're going to get a call back within the hour. Um, even if it's just a text that says, Hey, I'm with a client. I'll be back with you shortly. It's just communication is so important in real estate. And I think that communication stems back to my years in dealing with horses and trainers and just being open for communication and knowing exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know it was certainly helpful to us when we were selling our house because we had never sold a house. And it's a bit nerve wracking here because you can get a call tomorrow and be like, oh yeah, now they're going to close next week and you don't have an apartment lined up or your next house or, you know, like we were kind of freaking out and it worked out pretty good for us. And the people who bought it were pretty amicable on when to close. But at the end there, there's a big snowstorm coming. So we need to move and they need to get in. There's a lot that goes into it. And Martha, how about for you? Like when you're selling for somebody, how's it different? I used to say, and I didn't like it at first having listings as much because it's like a marriage. We're joined at the hip until that property is sold. And it can take a long time. A lot of times they'll want to price too high. And I'll say, okay, that's (laughs) going to be a long listing. You know, this isn't going to happen as quickly as it should. And a a lot of people in the first place will choose me to list their property because I do a lot of advertising. I make it about them and about their wonderful property. But again, it's a long-term relationship. And you do, as Katrina says, have to work as a team and work together and a lot of communication. So it's a big jump. And, And like a marriage, I'm investing in it because there's advertising and photos and things all the time. It's an interesting point in time where listings are scarce, gone from 20 to 30 to just a handful. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so negotiation is also like a huge part of your business and what you guys have to do on a daily basis, right? So do you have, Martha, can you tell us what your tactics are to start negotiations and, and work through it? on a purchase and sale on a contract or an offer on a house or on a listing. Let's start with on an offer. On an offer, times have changed. It used to be that you could, the property would be listed high and people would try and come in low and then you would go back and forth and sort of meet in the middle. But for the past few years, that hasn't worked so well. What's worked better is to come in, not at the price that they want, but at a price that they can't just walk away from that easily. And then not move much. Now trying to convince everybody to do that isn't always easy. You know, they're really going to come low, so then they're going to come back high. And but I always tell everybody, what's where you finish? So if you want to get here and you think starting so low, a lot of times all that the seller remembers is that first offer, even if you get all the way up to almost ask. Yeah. Uh, right now, it's a nightmare crazy time. We're getting multiple offers, escalation clauses. It's almost like we're auctioneers. We will hold a house, we get a listing, we hold an open house for two days or showings for two days and then look at the offers. Wow. Yeah. And Katrina, what are your negotiation tactics? So we're experiencing like Martha, a very similar market up here from a sell side and having listings. 
I market my houses exactly the same way. We do everything we're going to do in a normal market, but the house gets listed on Thursday for showings to start on Friday. We do showings Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and usually by Monday, we're going through highest and best offers. So when I talk to my sellers about this, I try to prep them in advance to one, be out of the house for the weekend because you're probably going to get slammed. (laughs) Um, And I want you to understand that sometimes it's not just the dollar signs on the offer. There's so many other factors that go into things. It's looking at the who the lender is. It's looking at what their time period is. What are their contingencies? Are they going to do full home inspections and try to beat us down after that? Are, do they have a house to sell first? And mm-hmm. how long is that going to take? So there's so many other things that tie to that offer. So I try to keep them from having blinders on and seeing just the number. I want them to see the whole offer. And we want to make sure that offer that we pick is the one that makes it to the closing table with the most money in their pocket. Mm-hmm. My buyers, um, they've run through a completely different game at this point. They're pretty well versed on the market by the time they get to me because they see something on Zillow and they call and we're like, oh, it's gone. So they've realized they need to find an agent that has some inner workings to the market and can kind of steer them in the right direction and feed them properties at the day they hit the market rather than four or five days later by the time it's gone. Mm-hmm. So they understand that when they're writing an offer, they don't have that ability anymore, especially where we are, to do a lot of negotiations. Chances are you're paying over asking for a house. The question becomes how much more at this point. So that's where I have to try to really steer them in. And I've told seller or I've told buyers that listen, you can write an offer up to this number, but like I'm not comfortable selling a house to you or this house for any more than this price. Like I think you're overpaying at this point. Mm-hmm. It's being able to negotiate to get the win on your buy side, which is oftentimes, especially with newer houses, we'll do buyer inspections for buyer purposes only. So they're free to do their inspections with their home inspector and get a rundown. But I don't want to hear about every loose doorknob and every broken window latch in the house. I want to hear only about major issues. If there's a roof issue, is there a foundation issue? Are there major issues with any of the utilities in the house? Other than that, I don't care. And our sellers do expect that. And I kind of prep the buyers along that way because when we're putting houses on the market, equine properties or not, we're seeing 15, 20, 30 offers in a matter of three to four days. So you need to make your buyer's offer stand out that having a good lender that's local is huge right now. I don't, you start seeing some of the internet banks and I won't mention any names, but we get a little like standoffish because they don't necessarily know the market where we are. Hmm. And Martha, what's some advice that you give to people who are in the middle of negotiations? Does it, is it like a matter of patience or is it having an aggressive stance, what do you think is well, most important? As a buyer, we talk mm-hmm. about they learn pretty quickly through experience too. They're like, oh, I like this house, but I don't want to pay that. Bang, you're out. And they'll do that <laughs> once or twice. And then they start, well, I'm going to overbid. I'm like, let's not do that. Let's let the escalation do that because you only have to go higher than the highest offer, which they have to show you. Uh-huh. Um, 
a lot of times highest people do highest and best, but I'm having more luck right now with the escalation. I don't want everybody to know that because everybody else will do it. But uh, <laughs> yes, and it's different. Everything that Katrina said, she's absolutely right. And if she knows what she's talking about, I would actually list with her probably if I had a house up there. Um, it's very different down here in Wellington because these are savvy buyers for the most part. These are This is not their first rodeo. So I'm dealing with people that are getting financing on the back end that I don't even know about. A lot of times they'll close cash and then do something on the back end or they'll say it's cash, but there's enough time because people want to stay in the house till April to find the money. And then people will take the money at closing. They don't care. So I'm dealing with a different animal, but it's definitely an interesting time. Inspection items, pretty much they're doing the inspection unless, as Katrina said, unless there's a major issue like a roof problem or the pool is leaking water crazy or the AC just is not functioning and you'll know the ages if they need replacement. At least you can figure that into if you want to move forward or not. But trying to get everything repaired or a credit, not so much because they'll have backup offers behind you. All right. And what should someone do if negotiations start going bad and things are falling apart? Is it just a matter of knowing when to walk away? Well, the good thing is they got their foot in the door on this property. Then they decide if they want it or not. There's always somebody right behind them. And we noticed that leading up to this point, like all last year, I was like, isn't the market great? Isn't the market great? And I said, not so much because we're doing twice the amount of work and losing one out of two deals. I don't know if that was just me. All in all, it was a good year, but it was a lot of work because people were jumping in, jumping out, then the next one in, and then that one too. So we were selling the same house two and three times. <laughs> right. And Katrina, do you have advice for people who are kind of in the midst of negotiations and how to handle it if things aren't going their way? So we're, we're a little different than Florida because we're an attorney state. So we handle everything right up to contracts and then the attorneys kind of take over and then we then hold the entire deal together because we become the middlemen for attorneys, lenders, title, buyers and sellers. We kind of become the middlemen to communicate with everybody. Mm. But our negotiations happen pre-contract. Our inspections also happen pre-contract, which I know is everybody thinks weird up here. So I'm in the midst of a deal right now that is an estate sale. I have the buyers on and the inspections found some pretty harrowing evidence of things that are dramatically wrong with the property. And we've been pretty open with, and my buyers are not ready to walk yet, though I suggested it. Um, We're trying to work the proper channels to really make this all work. With an estate sale, when you have multiple people that may not have you know, vested interest in the house, they're just trying to get rid of it. Sometimes it becomes a little bit more difficult. Sometimes it's agents that aren't communicating back and forth, or you have sellers that have just disappeared off to Mexico somewhere for a long weekend and you can't get through inspections. I often encourage both my other agents that were working the deal together. If we can't pull this together, we try to get the attorneys involved and see if they can't kind of wrangle everybody in a little bit. I think when it comes to negotiations from the buy side, you have to know your hard limits. What is a deal breaker and where are we just going to say, okay, enough, 
especially in a market like this where houses are disappearing left and right. You can't get tied up in negotiations for three, four or five weeks and all of a sudden walk away. And now you've just lost five weeks of purchase time. So it's knowing what the outcomes are going to be that we're going to either walk away or we're going to push through this and try to make it work. On the sell side, I try to make my sellers see that sometimes giving a little will give us more in the end because if they need something, it oftentimes it's a thousand dollars or less that they're looking for a repair on something. I have a list of contractors, use these people, they'll come out, they'll fix it. We'll get it done. Let's just move to the closing table because sometimes you get some people that are a little more on the hot headed side and they just want to kill the deal and start over. The best thing to do is just remind them how long this process in New York takes and we're already two two months into this deal that do you really want to start all over again for the sake of X amount of dollars when you're still paying a mortgage and utilities and taxes on this house that's now going <laughs> to extend another three months. So sometimes yeah. that giving now will save you in the end. So it's just making sure they see the big picture and not focus on the dollars directly in front of them. Mm-hmm. There's where that psychology comes into play again. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. How often do you have deals fall through because people won't compromise? More so now, I think from the, from a buyer side, I have buyers walk. So my sellers typically have, as Martha said, three, four, five backup offers waiting. And we make it pretty known to the buyer's agent that this was your offer. This is what you said. If you can't follow through, you're out. The next one's in. I'm, I think Martha had mentioned as well, like we're sometimes three to four offers deep in a house before we actually get to contract because somebody's dragging their feet. Somebody decides they want to renegotiate. All of a sudden we want to drop our offer price and we just push through them. And we're usually by offer three or four on most of the listings before we actually get a solid contract. Mm-hmm. And Martha, how about you? Do you have deals fall through because people won't compromise pretty often or is it rare for you? I would say it's rare. Last year was just that year where it happened a few times, but there was always somebody else to buy it. So I would say, look, if this doesn't work out, but right now the properties are so hard to get that we're trying to hold it together. If the seller wants to sell if if there's a meeting point and a lot of times I try and get everybody to work together. So it's a bit like Katrina, our attorneys, they don't generally have to work through the inspections and that, but I will try and make everybody share in it. I'm a negotiator. So I'll say, listen, I don't mind helping you out. Let's get the other agent involved and maybe the seller too. And we'll all work together and try and make it work for the buyer. When you divide something in three, it's a lot easier to swallow than all in one. That's a good tactic, actually. I like that. But you have to save that for the end because when they start with you in the beginning, will you cut your commission? Will you do this? Will you do that? And if you do it up front, then you have nothing left at the end. And unfortunately, I learned this through my trial and error. (laughs) (laughs) I just, with the cost on a radon system, like sometimes you just have to give a little in the end. And I don't like to give that up in the beginning. And that's why my, my percentages are where they are because I know in the end, should something happen, there's some room if it comes down to yes. the deal work. 
Yes. And I had worked, my father had a ladies wholesale shoe company and he had these chain of discount outlets to get rid of the shoes. And I sold shoes discount for many years. So when I got into real estate, I said, the one thing I do not want to do is discount real estate. And so I really try to, to represent some fine listings and great buyers. And also I put a lot behind the advertising and the whatever. So I just say, I am not a discount shoes for so long, but I try <laughs> for a while. And in the end, yes, I mean, it all comes out of the wash one way or the other. So mm-hmm. I don't know that the end result is so different for me, but <laughs> yeah. Um, Martha, what is something you'd want everybody to know when they're looking to buy real estate? One, one piece of advice. Well, it depends on that. So different because some people want to develop. Some people want it as an investment. Some people want it as a rental and each property is different. Oftentimes the best rental is the worst property to flip and the best property to flip is the worst rental. So that really depends. But one thing I try to do is think, okay, if these people don't like it here and they want to sell it next year, can I get them out? Mm-hmm. So you always want to have an exit strategy. Oh, I like that. How about that's a good piece of advice for anything in life? (laughs) Yeah, really have a good exit strategy for sure. And then I'll say that to them. So if they are bidding or they, whatever I say, listen, this is fine, but you're going to have to live here at least two years because I can't just turn around with, because of closing costs down here are roughly 8% in Palm Beach County. By the time you pay the commission and in Palm Beach County, we deliver title to the buyer so they've got title and documentary stamps, et cetera. Yeah. Katrina, what, what do you want people to know about buying real estate? I'm going to step back just even a little bit further than what Martha said is especially in this market, if you're looking to buy, you need to find an agent. You need to find an agent that's going to go to bat for you. That's going to work for you that, you know, that you trust because listings come on and go so fast And agents that are doing this full-time, that are tied to the community and have connections with other agents, often have some inside knowledge about some listings that are coming on before they even hit. So you have something on your radar. You're not waiting for something to populate out to Zillow, and it's a Tuesday, and you can't get there till Friday or Saturday. You need an agent that's going to be there that can even get through the front door. I can't tell you how many FaceTimes I've done with clients and done virtual walkthroughs for city clients that know they love the pictures and they want my opinion. And we do a video walkthrough and we write the offer and they've never been in the house other than the walkthrough. And they can come up on the weekend if we can get that accepted offer. So it's having that agent in your corner that can really help navigate you through this process. They're going to help you with your lenders and making sure you've got a solid lender that they have a good working relationship with. They're going to make sure that you have a, a good local attorney that knows what they're doing, that's on top of things. There's more pieces than just looking at the house and calling the listing agent and saying, hey, let me see this. Um, you really want somebody in your corner, especially in this market. Yeah. Would you say it's the same for people who are selling or do you have different advice you'd give to people who are looking to sell their properties? 
So I think it's the same advice at this point. There's so many people that jump online and they see their Zestimate and they're like, oh, we should sell. And they want to do for sale by owner, especially in New York. We have so many documents. I mean, you know, Jen, we sat together and there's <laughs> nine, 10, there's 11 different documents you sign before you even put on when it comes down to fair housing and ethics and all of the listing agreements and everything that you need to know about selling your house in New York, it all ties back to how crazy the market has become. You throw your house on Zillow and you're going to have 75 phone calls. You have no idea if these people are pre-qualified. You're selling something on Marketplace and you meet them in a secure location, but you're going to put your house on Marketplace and you're letting strangers into your house. (laughs) It's so so crazy. We want to make sure those buyers that are coming through the door are pre-approved. We want to make sure that they're qualified. In the land of COVID, we want to make sure that they've been through their screening process up here and that everybody is safe to come in your house. You want somebody in your corner. Chances are we're going to help you negotiate for more money in the end that you're going to net in your pocket than if you tried to do this on your own. And we're going to save you a whole lot of aggravation. Mm, Yeah. Well, because you're experts at negotiation too, (laughs) not not just in the real estate. Like you have a lot of hats that you have to wear. Exactly. Yeah. And Martha, how about for you? Do you have advice for people who are looking to sell their properties? They need to make sure that they're ready to come on the market. Yes, they absolutely should have an agent. I think that they need to clean up and rise to the occasion. So it needs to be cleaned. If there's painting that needs to be done, it needs that, some mulch outside. And I think that pictures are worth a thousand words. People will see on their cell phone these listings and they need to look good. That said, it's an interesting market right now because before it was everything was tech. And now I like will say to one of my old clients, do you know anything that might be coming for sale on the lake? And they'll say, yes, the guy next door may sell his house and I'll call him. So we're doing a lot of deals where things don't even ever hit the market. But again, they need to be ready. Like the house should be clean. It should be painted. It should be decluttered so that people can picture themselves there. And it's really important. People say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I'm living here. It matters. Yeah. When we sold our house, it, I cleaned and cleaned. And I know a couple of people couldn't believe that we had two dogs that lived in the house because I sent them away for the weekend and it was so clean, right, Katrina? It was like <laughs> it was like some of the comments people were making were like, there's dogs that live in here? Really? <laughs> yeah. But that made a difference, I'm sure, quite quickly. Yeah, it did. Actually, we had an offer the next afternoon after it was first listed Friday morning, the first people to come at eight o'clock in the morning. And, and the pictures were a big part too. I mean, has got a really good professional to come in and take excellent pictures. And that's okay. worth it. And that's yeah. worth it. Sometimes you yeah. see little pictures online where somebody used their iPhone. And- yeah. It's, this reminds me of um, the last episode that we had, we were talking to two women who are in the retail industry. One had a tax shop a few tax shops and another woman designed apparel and goods. And they both talked about, you're not going to know everything in your business. You're not going to be able to do everything for your business. If you're a small business owner, you have to be able to recognize what you can't do and be able to find the person who can do it to help you. And I feel like that's such a, a strong reason to have a real estate agent and and somebody helping you in the process who is an expert and knows and can really give you that best advice and is a good negotiator for you on your behalf. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I think stemming off of that too, when it comes to hiring a real estate agent, especially 
we're in kind of a unique area up here because there's not a lot of agents that have horse experience. And I can't tell you how many people who have come to me after the fact that they've listed their farm with someone who had a lot of smoke and mirrors and told them everything they wanted to hear and took some great photos and they have no idea how to market a horse property. It's knowing to ask the right questions of your agent when you're trying to sell a horse property or an agricultural property. I try to be present at every showing on my horse farms because just because the agent is showing up and the clients have interest doesn't mean the agent has knowledge of a working horse farm. And I have seen and heard horror stories of agents who have allowed children and families to walk through open fields with broodmares and babies mm-hmm. who have gates open on pastures, who have left water running somewhere because the kids were playing and didn't pay any attention. So it's making sure that when you're selling a really specialty type property, when it comes to a horse farm, that the agent not only has a marketing background and understands, but that they have some type of working knowledge of how that farm is. I've shown up to listings, my own listings, where another agent and buyer are there that I'm present for. And though I may be in a skirt, there are cowboy boots in my Jeep and I will take them out. And it's usually a look of relief on the buyer's face when they realize that someone there can answer the actual questions that they have about the arena, about the stalls, about the zoning. So it, it is important that your agent has a background in whatever you're looking to either buy or sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, At the end of every episode, we ask the same three questions to each guest, and we wanted to ask you guys your thoughts as well. And Connor usually starts with the first question. Yeah. So Martha will go first. What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? I would say to be independent and self-sufficient. It's a hard feeling to be dependent on your father, on your husband, or on somebody else. I think some of the happiest times in my life came from when I didn't have everything and I had to work hard to take care of myself and my family. And I think no matter what, even if everything's great, you just want to be able to either have a skill or have money set aside and budgeted that you're able to take care of yourself um, if needed. Yeah. Definitely. I love that advice. Nobody needs in a quiet way. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Katrina, for you, what's one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? I'm going to stem right off of what Martha said. It's knowing your self-worth, know what you can do physically, mentally, and know when to say no. I'm a bit of a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Learning how to say no was very hard for me, but it's knowing your worth and knowing your value and what you bring to the table that it can be a life changer. And Katrina, what's the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Self-care, learning to step away and take some time for myself just to refresh and refocus on things, having a family and three kids and a full-time business and horses and dogs and cats. Sometimes you just need to step away and refresh and don't be afraid to take that time to yourself and it gives you a nice clear outlook to just keep moving forward and working towards your goals. Great. And Martha, what's the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? I try to work out now in the mornings. Yoga helps a lot, yoga in the gym, but I love what I do. It's my sports. It's my passion. 
once in a while, I do agree with Katrina that a change of scenery is really good and just get away for a few days and then come back. Yeah. Yeah. That's always good to refresh a little. Well, you're lucky if you're doing what you like to do. Yeah. Yeah. And Martha, what's your favorite horse movie? Oh gosh. It goes so far back. Oh gosh. I loved the horse in the gray flannel suit. And okay. I, more recently I liked the Secretariat movie. Yeah. yeah. I'm reading the new James Patterson book. And actually, James Patterson, there were signed copies at Barnes and Noble. It's about <laughs> one and it's called The Horsewoman. And I yeah. recommend that for anybody. <laughs> it's not a movie yeah. yet. Maybe it will be one. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> And Katrina, what's your favorite horse movie? Oh, I'm right there with Secretariat. I think it's a great true story on rising up from being the little guy and making it big. I just, I love a story like that. And it's, it was a great movie. My kids love the movie and definitely a top favorite. Yeah. That's a favorite of guests is Secretariat. Black Stallion's like number one, but (laughs) yeah. There was one other movie that was really good about a racehorse in California, Del Mar, wasn't there? A recent one, but was it Sea Biscuit? Sea Biscuit. Yes, that was yeah. good. Yeah. Yep, I liked that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, we wanted to say thank you guys for joining us and talking to us about your businesses and and how you handle your job and working with clients. So we really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I really enjoyed talking to those ladies about real estate. Because I had in the last year, I've recently gone through selling my house, but also the negotiation part, the persuasion part, which I think can apply to everybody's business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're so incredibly knowledgeable about what they do. And I just really enjoy talking to people who are experts on something. So yeah. I think it's cool to hear they both can just rattle off all of these yeah. things that they do day to day and all the steps it takes if you're buying. And all. <laughs> it's a little mind boggling to, be like, oh, wow, you just know that off the top of your head. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Katrina was saying like, she knows zoning laws and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's a lot to know. Mm -hmm. And I think the real estate market is huge, right? So there's so many parts of it that they have to know. And it's so competitive. Like in Wellington, do you know how many real estate agents there are? There's so many. It's, I think it's hard to be in such a competitive market and Martha's the best there is. And I think it's, it's really cool to see. And they both have kind of a similar track of being in riding and in horses and so immersed in the day-to-day horse world and then transitioning to the real estate world. So that was cool to see the parallel between them. Yeah. And I love that they, contribute so much of where they are now to back to their riding and their horse experience, right? Like it's nice to know that they learned a lot of skills, which I myself felt that about the job that I have now. And a lot of my skills came from growing up on a farm and riding horses and being around vets, but also having to triage horses myself out on the farm. And so I I like that they're able to take what they've learned from horses and apply it to something completely different in real estate. Right. I think that that could apply to lots of different positions. The horses and the horse world and caring for animals just sets you up in so many 
great ways for other things in life. Yeah. And when we were, you were mentioning at the end about the women who we spoke to in the last episode and yeah, you really do need to know what you can and you can't do. And like these, it applies to them as well. And Katrina has to have lawyers and we have to have other inspectors and there's a lot of moving pieces. So to be able to put that together and be successful, it's pretty mind blowing when you think about it that way. Mm -hmm. Manage all those moving parts. Yep. Yeah. And I'm sure they just like Katrina's, Martha has a team of people that work with her as well that help her with all the different parts of business. So I think that is an important point too. It's not just them out there on their own and they have to negotiate within their business too (laughs) and be able to manage that group. Yeah. It was a really good episode, I think. Yeah. I loved Martha's, uh, you need to have an exit strategy. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. That was my favorite part because it's so true. I never really thought about it in real estate because I've bought three houses and I've always gone into it thinking, okay, uh, this is where I'm going to live indefinitely. I didn't really think about the next step or what would happen if I needed to sell or so... I will definitely be keeping that advice in the back of my head of going into situations knowing what my expectations are and and what the future may hold. <laughs> yeah, I going into my house, I didn't expect to be there forever. I didn't think it was my forever home, but it was fun because it needed some renovations and I enjoyed that process of it, but selling it was unexpected. Like the market had just gotten so hot and some things had gone on in my life that I was like, yeah, you know what? Now's the time to get out of this and let's do it. And I really hadn't planned on it. And Katrina did a great job like walking us through it. But going forward, thinking about, oh, well, I may sell it in three, five years. It will help me going Mm -hmm. into a property the next time. Great. Well, here's to taking some advice and and learning a little bit about negotiating and how to use that going forward. Definitely. Find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go negotiate a good deal. 